This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Welcome to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I am Tammy Mack. Black Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Cullors recently stepped down from the organization she helped found, in part because of scrutiny over her usage of its finances. Well, now, nonprofit organizations notoriously spend a significant percentage of their funds on overhead costs. Is the scrutiny surrounding the Black Lives Matter organization beginning to sound a bit racist? Or is it really something that should concern us? Let's get down to business. Please welcome radio personality and one of my Friday co-hosts, Dominique DePrima on deck. Hi, Dominique. Hi, Tammy Mack. Author and associate professor of history of Washington University in St. Louis, Dr. Douglas Flo. Hi, Dr. Thanks Flo. for having me. Hip-hop scholar, Adiria Johnson. Hi, Adiria. Hi. And the host of the Officer Tatum show and podcast, Brandon Tatum. Hi, Brandon. Hello. So let's get down to business. Why should Black people care about the scrutiny that Black Lives Matter is now facing? Why should Black people care, Dr. Flo? Um, well, I mean, this is a this is a really big issue that uh, a lot of uh, you know, activist organizations face. And there's a question here about whether or not this is um, you know, uh, much ado about nothing, if this is, you know, just kind of people mismanaging some things here and there, problems that can be fixed, or if maybe there are some, uh, you know, intentional or unintentional slash unethical things happening. Um, one, we should care about that because we want an organization that um, most of us understand as being for our, our goodwill um, to, to prosper and to do well and to not have the sorts of problems that bring those sorts of organizations down. Um, but also we should be questioning whether or not um, some of the issues that are, are being brought up are being brought up for the purpose of trying to bring the organization down. Um, are these real serious ethical issues or are some of them uh, being used by people who are in opposition to Black Lives Matter movement uh, to discredit the movement? And, and that's, that's a really big concern that we should all be, be thinking about and talking about as we are. Yeah, Adiria, why should Black people care? Yeah, I think Black people should care. I mean, because we're thinking about how we're coming up on, you know, a post, you know, Black Panther Party era, Black post-civil rights era, and the ways in which Black folks are considering how much they need support, how much they need money, how much they need resources, um, even just the conversation of, you know, reparations. So, like, thinking about, like, having an organization that represents Black folks, um, and thinking about the pain that we're going through, seeing the consistent, you know, murders of Black and Brown folks um, is important in regards to how these organizations are representing us. And if we feel like the money is being mismanaged, or there's a poor lack of leadership in organization that shouldn't matter because we're thinking about who can we turn to in our community to provide those resources. Dominique? Well, Black Lives Matter and the anti-racist movement, as we saw exploding on the world stage in 2020, was really um, 
the biggest movement of people hitting the streets against racism in the history of, you know, since we've been paying attention, recorded history. And so anything that seems to challenge it, undermine it, or discredit it somehow has to be of concern to us. Now, do the actions of one organization or one part of an organization discredit a whole movement? Well, really they shouldn't, but what happens is that is how it's transposed in our minds. That's how it comes across in the media. And I think it's a big concern because the gains that we've seen. Yes, because it means? Gains that we've seen as as a result of the Black Lives Matter movement um, are things that are continuous and we want them to keep going. Brandon, why should black people care? Look, I'm black. Why should I care about what's going on with Black Lives Matter organization and their money situation? Why? Well, I think that the Black Lives Matter organization has conflated with the concept of Black Lives Mattering. Um, I think that black people in this country believe that Black Lives Matter. I think everybody in this country should believe that. But when you have an organization that may be pushing out an image of black people that's not true, they may be bolstering success and they're actually contradicting success in the black community with issues that are surrounding Patrice Cullors, her stepping down, the purchase of, a ma- of mansions, the, the mismanagement of money. Uh, those things are incredibly concerning because before the world stage, this is a black organization that is supposed to be representing the, the issues in the black community. And if they are on the world stage looking like a fraudulent organization, I think it really hurts the movement. And it hurts the reputation of black people. Yeah. So let's talk about what exactly Black Lives Matter is being accused of, Dominique. Well, I mean, the what's happened is that Black Lives Matter Global Network, which to be clear is one part of the Black Lives Matter organization, um, released their 990s, which are the financial forms that nonprofits are supposed to release every year that shows where the money goes. Prior to that, there have been accusations and innuendo, but it's important to understand that there is Black Lives Matter grassroots, which really is Black Lives Matter. That's the people on the ground doing the work, the marches. That is the chapters in the various uh, cities. And then there's the Black Lives Matter Political Action Committee, which can donate to uh, initiatives and then political initiatives. And then there's the Global Network Foundation. This is the source of the controversy. This is where the money is housed. And they are the ones that release these 990s. And the 990s show that money went, we already knew, to buy a house, that money went uh, to pay for security and production costs to relatives and loved ones of Patrice Colors, which as far as I know is not illegal, but does appear to be, um, you know, possibly ethical. But also it shows that at least $25 million went to uh, fund Black-led organizations, including a fund of $13 million that went to local chapters. So aside from what's been accused, some of the prior accusations were actually debunked by that, even though some new questions were also raised. Yes. Uh, Brandon, let's go back to you. What exactly is Black Lives Matter being accused of? Yeah, I think the, uh, I I believe it was Dominique Dominique that uh, mentioned it before, um, that they're being accused of mismanaging money. I think a lot of people that invested in Black Lives Matter believe that all of the efforts were going to be put towards uh, bettering the Black community saw the opposite effect in some of these areas. I mean, when you give your your, your child's father almost a million dollars and you're giving other family members large chunks of money to do services, it's very suspicious. 
And I don't think any reputable organization would ever in, in their right mind think of doing things like this. I mean, Patrice Cullors paid $75,000 for a private jet, which in which at one point she paid back. One of the mansions that, that they had purchased with this Black Lives Matter money, they had threw an inauguration party for Joe Biden and, and threw a, a birthday party for one of her children. I mean, those things are not, in my opinion. I mean, I do think that that's, it's the perception that's the issue, as Brandon rightly says. But to be clear, they're not so far accused of any crimes. Now, nepotism worked just fine for the Kennedys and for the Trumps. Somehow when black people do it, it's more suspect. Um, whether or not that was a good judgment call, we can debate. But, um, you know, if well, I'm Patrice Cullors and I'm under attack by right-wing trolls, is it that weird that I would turn to my brother's security company? I don't know. I don't know if it's the call I would have made, but certainly we don't know that that's illegal. There's a point there. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Brandon. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's just right wing trolls. I mean, in the state of California, no, they were banned. They were banned from collecting any further donations in the state of California and other states around the country because they had not accounted for $60 million Amazon, worth of money. By Amazon because they didn't fill out their forms. That's not banned by any government agency. Or no, the, 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 gover the governor of California had came out and said that they can no longer accept no, donations within the state. That's actually not true. And, and so did other states follow suit and said they no. cannot accept donations within the state because they did not do their filings right, properly right, with you, the state. You just can't make stuff up. That's not true. I'm, I'm not making this up. This is this is verifiable evidence and people who are watching can verify it and prove if I'm wrong or right. Dr. Cole, let's talk about this. Dominique, yeah. uh, Dominique and Brandon are both saying that there's a little nepotism that went on with uh, the Black Lives Organization. And we're speaking of the global network. Correct. Um, so the thing here is Dominique's right in a sense of nepotism works just fine when white people do it. I mean, we saw an entire presidency and administration be uh, in, 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 in fluctuated with uh, nepotism. Everybody in the Trump administration had a job who was related to him. And uh, if Patrice Cullors has a brother who has a security company and she pays him, what's wrong with that? Well, I don't yeah, think nepotism I mean, is okay when Trump did it either. I, th I think that it's very suspicious and it's not the way you should manage businesses. Even George Bush, the nepotism of having George Bush, George Bush Sr., and also another Bush wanted to run for president on a Republican <laughs> ticket. Um, he did not make it because people did not want a third Bush in office. And, and many conservatives did not want nepotism to be a part of our po political perspective. So I don't think it was good that Trump did that. And I don't think that anybody let him off the hook. I, I, I think that the liberal side of it gave him crap for it, uh, rightfully so, because it's a conflict of interest. But nothing ever, I mean, outside of the chatter, uh, there was nothing, you know, nothing was done about it. I, I mean, and, and Dominique mentioned the, the Kennedy administration. I mean, we can mention several politicians who have hired family members to be a part of their structure, whether it be in marketing, whether it, it, it be on a larger scale, like <laughs> international um, positions. But Dr. Flo, I want you to get in on this. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Nepotism is problematic and all, you know, whoever, whoever does it. Um, and we could, we could debate that all day. I think one of the bigger issues here is that we need to separate the Black Lives Matter movement from the Black, Black Lives Matter global network. And part of the reason why a lot of the smaller organizations in the Black Lives Matter movement have wanted a, you know, what they call a starfish organization, right? Where there are all of these different organizations that are connected to each other, but there's no head. 
part of the reason why they, they've wanted that is so something like this couldn't happen. So that there couldn't be some one organization that would be representative to a large extent, at least psychologically, to observers that when they made a mistake, it would then represent the rest of the movement. Um, so I'm not really here to defend the people at the Black Lives Matter Global Network because I don't know what they do or how this will all pan out in the end. I'm here to defend the movement, which whether this organization has done something wrong or not, is still just as valid as it was before. We're going to take a quick break and come back because I do want to talk about the psychology of it all when it comes to donators and people who support Black Lives Matter uh, in totality. We'll take a quick break. Be right back on Business of Being Black. Welcome back to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I am Tammy Mack. And the business of being black today is Black Lives Matter. Is the scrutiny that they have received for their financial misdeeds, uh, is it justifiable? Brandon, let's talk about um, when Dr. Flo suggests that psychologically this hurts donators and people who support Black Lives Matter, and particularly because it is divided into groups. There's Black Lives Matter Global uh, Network, then the grassroots Black Lives Matter, and of course the political action Black Lives Matter. But when people see that, do they just see Black Lives Matter and not the individualism of these particular organizations? The umbrella uh, apparently represents all of it. Yes, ma'am. Dr. Flo had it perfectly right. Unfortunately, and this is why you have to take responsibility and do what's right when you have that big of a platform, because people cannot differentiate. There's a very big difference between the idea of Black Lives Mattering and the organization. So when the organization do things that are unkosher, people begin to question the movement in and of itself. And also there's grassroots movements that are within Black Lives Matter that have done tremendous work in the community. And unfortunately, the, the global organization haven't funded them as well as many people would suggest. And they have a lot of controversy surrounding them. And then also, I think we have to talk about the fact that we deserve better as Black people and having a better movement. We don't have clear statistical data that since 2014, that the actual movement has done positive things for the black community in 2020, we saw the greatest, I just want to finish this point. In 2020, we saw the biggest spike in murders across the country, a 30% increase. And majority of those, 54% of those were black people that have been murdered. So at the height of Black Lives Matter, at the height of its influence, we've seen a tremendous amount of death and destruction in the black community. And I'm not saying this is 100% Black Lives Matter's fault, but I'm saying there's a correlation that people may connect and can we disprove that that's the correlation? Adira can, can, Adira, can we disprove that there's a correlation? Yeah, I don't think it's fair to make that correlation that it's you know Black Lives Matter fault, that these connections actually make sense. Because I think the real point is to observe the fact that we're looking at the deaths of Black folks, right? And how is this organization providing support? And how does that look emotionally? How does that look physically with resources? And when we're thinking about that, we're thinking about mothers um, like Samira Rice. You know, I talked about you know her son, Tamir Rice, and how that you know Black Lives Matter didn't support her in regards to the ways in which that she needed resources through the death of her son. And I think as we continue with this conversation, it's important to to note that people are hurting. And I feel like the problem is an unethical piece about it is when we look at these finances and then we look at why people are concerned is the thought of like, we are looking at an organization that is profiting off of the murders of black bodies, right? So how are we thinking about that? And what does that mean in regards to resources? So that doesn't happen again. Or how is this organization providing financial support that actually physically protects the black community from these type of violence? 
Can we, can we yeah. talk about rhetoric? Can I, can I jump in here about rhetoric? I think the rhetoric of Black Lives Matter from the founding of the global network is, is a huge problem. And I, and I really wish that Black people would call them out on it. One of their mission statements was to destroy the nuclear family. It was on their website. They removed wrong, it. The wrong, defunding, wrong, the defunding wrong, of police. Wrong. I mean, can I finish the point? No, the not defunding when you of just police. I think no. you, you can, can. Can you just rebut me right after I finish the point? The, the rhetoric of the the rhetoric of defunding the police was another uh, crucial point that hurt black communities. Because when you have less police in these black communities that need it the most, we see crime that spike out of control. There was a survey was done and most black people in the inner city said that they want more or the same amount of police coverage because they need help. So some of the rhetoric that came from Black Lives Matter was detrimental and it has results. Defunding the police and abolishing the police are two different things. So when we talk about defunding and other grassroots organizations that mentioned defunding, it's specifically reorchestrating the resources that the police get. So when we look at statistically at how much money that police departments are getting and how that kind of impacts and reflects within urban communities, we're looking at how those funds should be redistributed, redistributed into the community. So taking funds from police funds that go into mental health resources, that go back into schools, that go back into housing, that go back into maternal health. So we're thinking about all the different ways that the funds that are going to police officers and police departments are being redistributed into the community. We're thinking about those lacks of resources. But I would like to be very clear that defunding and abolishing the police are two different things. Because abolishing okay. means absorbing the police and they don't exist. Well, and no, let me, let me, let me. Hold up a second. There are so many just unchecked talking points flying all over the place. First of all, when you say mismanagement, misdeeds, crimes, you do need to say alleged because nothing has been proven, charged, whatever. Second of all, when you talk about blaming Black Lives Matter for homicide or saying that Black Lives Matter should have paid X, Y, and Z expenses, there are several points that are just made up points because when you critique an organization, you have to critique them based on their mission statement, not based on what you think they should do or what is even what is needed in the community, but what is their mission statement? Their mission statement was never to end homicides. Last time I checked, that's supposed to be police and they don't seem to be doing the greatest job right now in the middle of the pandemic. I know there's a lot of challenges, but Black Lives Matter, their mission is to end state sanctioned violence. So if you're talking about community violence, which is what you were referencing when you were talking about black murders, that is not the portfolio of Black Lives Matter. Now there are non-police organizations that do that work, many of them. Uh, organizations like Second Call, but they are not Black Lives Matter. So for you to automatically say, I can make up any yardstick I want and use that to judge an organization, I don't think that's correct. A lot of people, Dominique, have had an issue with the mission statement of Black Lives Matter. Oh, but that's not up to you. Start your own organization, right? No, I mean, we, we, what I we're saying is, organization, I get to choose what the mission statement is. If I'm the Trump Foundation and I say my mission statement is to buy portraits of the president, you and I, Tammy, we don't get to decide that. That's when you go and you found your own organization. And to say that the Black Lives Matter movement has had no positive impact on black people and our rights, it's just ridiculous. Well, I think the mission statement I'm referring to though movement. is the mission statement that Brandon suggested uh, when he said the demise of the black family. And you said, no, that's not true. That's not true. That's a right wing talking point. No, it was black on their website. It's never been about the demise of the it, black family. They're it, very it, clear. It's to end state sanctioned violence. It's a talking point because Black Lives Matter has been embracing and welcoming of LGBTQ plus mm -hmm. people 
of non-traditional nuclear families. And so the right wing has seized upon that. But if you have been to any Black Lives Matter events, you know there's lots of support for the nuclear family and every other kind of family. Well, on and their the website. fighting for are mostly families who have lost murdered loved ones. On their, on their website, they talked about the, the, the breakdown of the nuclear family. And we all know what the nuclear family means. We need fathers in the home. That is a big pro- problem across the country and especially in the inner cities of the black community. You don't get to just say, I can say one thing on my website and then I'm out in the public claiming that I'm representing black people all over the country, all over the world. They have not changed. There is no, there is no legislation that have been passed since black lives matter has been in, in, in a organization that have benefited black people. They have, have done, there's no legislation that have affected black people. There's measures all across the country being passed by that momentum. California Give me an example. Changing its definition of when deadly force is acceptable by police officers. Give me an example. Directly from Measure J, the, um, the, the certification of police officers being able to be removed if they are problematic. The establishment of databases in local municipalities. Can, 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 we, can I speak to yes. this? You're talking about an executive order by President Joe Biden, executive order by President Joe Biden. The president cannot force municipalities to participate on the White House website. It says that he encouraged municipalities to report. They don't have to report. Also, none of the none of the measures that Biden has put into place or any of these organizations would have saved George Floyd's life, would have saved Michael Brown's life, would have saved any of these black people. Chokeholds are already illegal in many of these states. That wouldn't have saved any black person. Well, do nothing. Died. We should do nothing and be happy. Well, it's not that happen. we should do nothing. Can we I actually? We should actually work with the municipality. Oh yes, go ahead and get in here. Yeah, I want to. I want to speak to the the question about what has happened or what what sorts of reforms. Uh, I mean, first of all, you you can you can definitely kind of if you want to make a correlation between an increase in homicides and the Black Lives Matter movement, and you you can make that correlation. You don't have to make that correlation. Um, there have been a lot of other things happening over the past two years that could be, and people have argued, have something to do with the the increase in certain types of crimes across the country. Um, but I, I also say that um, you know we have seen some concrete things that have happened. Federal police reform has failed in a lot of ways, and Biden has tried to push it, and there's been a lot of pushback. That hasn't happened in the way that maybe some people would like. Um, but we have seen 31 large cities um, restricting the use of chokeholds, making it so that there are 62 cities that now have that uh, have that policy. We've seen no knock warrants. Oh, that on- thought, Dr. Flo. We're going to go to commercial. Come right back to you. All right. Welcome back to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I am Tammy Mack. And the Business of Being Black today is the scrutiny surrounding the Black Lives Matter organization. Please welcome radio personality and one of my Friday co-hosts, Dominique DePrima, also author and associate professor of history at Washington University in St. Louis, Dr. Douglas Flo, hip-hop scholar, Adiria Johnson, and the host of the Officer Tatum show and podcast, Brandon Tatum. Dr. Flo, please continue with the flow. Yes, thank you. Um, so as I was saying before the break there, you know, we've had no war- uh, no knock warrants um, being banned in a number of, of um, cities around the country. Um, we've had new policies emerge uh, that force police officers to um, to police themselves, the, uh, like the duty to intervene uh, law uh, that we see in um, Detroit and Buffalo. Um, officers now have a new duty in those places to intervene if they see one of their uh, colleagues uh, engaging in some sort of excessive force. Uh, New York uh, State recently appe- uh, repealed its 50A law, which shielded police uh, disciplinary records from public view, and the state also banned chokeholds. And, and also, 
also, I think there, there's a lot to be said for the sort of, um, you know, psychological and popular ways in which Black Lives Matter, the movement, not necessarily each organization, you know, talking about the movement as a whole has pushed certain things into mainstream conversation and thought. I moved to Wash U to teach as a, as a professor the same weekend that Michael Brown was killed. And St. Louis obviously was in an uproar. And I, along with many uh, hundreds, I'm sure, of other professors to do this, to do similar work, decided to teach classes to uh, my students at Washington University that addressed their concerns about the issues that they were seeing right outside their windows and in the city that they live in. And so th there are a lot of ways in which we do see some concrete things happening, definitely some police reform on the local level, not necessarily on the federal level. And we also see that people are consciously thinking about these things in a mainstream way that we haven't seen uh, any time before in the past. Yeah, and can I, I would... I would move. I would also move to suggest that uh, when we talk about the murders amongst Black people that have risen, that it has to do directly with the backlash of just how successful Black Lives Matter has been in its grassroots effort to make some of these policy changes. Because let's be honest, white supremacists don't want Black people to thrive, and they certainly don't want uh, policies made that would protect us. And so I think a lot of that would be the backlash of Black Lives Matter and its success. No, Brandon? No, I, I don't think so, because the numbers don't suggest that. I mean, it may feel that way, but it's not the numbers. Fifty Over 50 percent of the murders that have occurred in this country are, are murders You're of black men. And many, and murder and I, hold that thought, Dominique. Hold that thought. i just finish my point real quick. No, I'm trying um, to, I just want to know what murders you're talking about. Well, I'm talking about the general murders. Not, of black, black not police murdering black okay, people. Okay, when we let's talk about we could I could jump to police murders. Like since Black Lives Matter, there's not been a decrease in unarmed black men being shot. I, as a former police officer, I'm trying to inform that these policies that they're pushing are political policies, they don't have a real effect. Banning no-knock warrants wouldn't have saved Brianna Taylor's life because they didn't conduct a no-knock warrant at Brianna Taylor's house. Banning chokeholds wouldn't have saved George Floyd's life. Because it is already illegal to put your knee on someone's neck until they pass away. So it's a virtue signal from politicians. I don't care if it's from the right or the left. These things are not applicable in real life policing. You can tell a police officer or police department that they have to uh, uh, put the, the, the record of police officers on a database. That still does not address the issue of police officers going rogue as police officers on duty. So and but then if it's it does illegal, not address there's accountability. If the things are illegal, there's accountability. And I want to add to the impact of Black Lives Matter, they're not the only ones that got a whole bunch of money. The NAACP, the ACLU, all of these organizations got tens of millions of dollars because people wanted to make a difference. It didn't all go to Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, although there is now even more of a movement of the grassroots Black Lives Matter, which really is Black Lives Matter, demanding accountability from the Global Network Foundation, just as all of us are. Adiria, do, uh, do organizations like BLM put a target on Black people's back? Uh, I don't think so, because um, I, I think the way that I think about the way that Black people experience violence is it's, we're the victims, right? This has been a systemic issue of Black violence that has happened since our ancestors have made their way over here, right? So we're thinking about the ways in which how this is a, a movement that heightens the awareness of this type of violence. And to kind of piggyback on what you said earlier, I mean, we're thinking about also how Black Lives Matter has raised, or has raised the awareness of Black women who have been murdered by police, right? Black queer folks, Black trans folks who have been murdered by police. And I think that kind of, you know, 
includes the mission and the values in which Black Lives Matter. And we were specifically talking about, you know, the grassroots movement and the ways that we're raising this awareness. So I don't understand how that can be perceived as being a target because we have always been a target and the issue has always been systemic. The issue has always been about the intense and the very violent policing that Black people go through. And I don't believe um, or even understand the point in which that we have to criticize BLM as the people who are kind of, you know, heightening this, this, this experience that's happening. And I think we further kind of analyze this, this situation. It also means kind of understanding the fact that we are going to be, the, like, we are the victims of the situation. And I think it's important to realize that this organization does provide the resources of the aftermath. So looking about raising awareness of folks like Breonna Taylor, looking at and raising awareness about folks like, you know, George Floyd, and understanding that these issues need to be put out into the front street. Dr. I, I just wish, I think we deserve better. That's all I'm saying. I think we deserve better because the awareness about Breonna Taylor didn't change anything. No officer got arrested in that situation. Like, I, I wish that we could come up with better solutions that can actually affect change. And I think a lot of that is going to come Bring from- the movement. Him. You can help. I, I think that I do have a movement. I started Blexit. Me and Candace Owens started Blexit. Um, and we have chapters all over the country. We have 41 chapters now. We help out in the inner city communities. We donated to businesses that were burned down in these Black Lives Matter riots, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of Black businesses that were destroyed. So our organization has done that. I'm not saying that we're supposed to do everything, but I think we deserve better. I really want to see young Black men not in the streets being killed by police or by other young Black men. And I feel like some of these organizations are taking our money and they're telling us what we want to hear we do not see a change in police. We have not seen a change in unarmed men getting shot by police. And, and we, we, the only way we're going to see that change, I think, is internally when we go in our own communities and not wait on a government, not wait on somebody's organization, and we start introducing good behavior to our young people, teaching them how to interact with police, encourage them to become police officers so that they can patrol and affect change in their own community. But what about the police officers, like black police officers that still perpetuate internalized racism? And again, thinking about police officers who don't hold each other accountable. Because when we're well, saying that we're trying to train up black men, that means that we are trying to, again, perpetuate this idea of respectability politics, that a certain type of behavior is going to alleviate this form of violence against black folks. Because that didn't save us in the civil rights movement when we have our ancestors who are marching in full Sundays, in their Sunday's best. So when we try to you know, utilize this language that says we have to change our behaviors or BLM should kind of construct some way to change their behaviors, that's not addressing the problem because the behavior isn't the problem. It's the racism and it's the way that black folks are stereotyped that is the problem. Well, I think that behaviors are the problem. Like when my young son goes out into the world, I, I, I want to teach him to be on his best behavior. If you interact with a police officer, these are the things you do so you can be protected from bad police officers. But we so shouldn't it is have our to be behavior. perfect to not be murdered. We shouldn't have to be perfect to not be murdered. It's not perfection. No it's, it's, has to be perfect. Not, to not be murdered. I agree, but we, we, it's not perfection. It's just that we should not be fighting a police officer for but, uh, a gun. Uh, makes a point, though, here, Brandon, when she says the civil rights movement uh, definitely is an example of no matter how great we are or how uh, how many how much manners we possess. It doesn't stop white people who don't want us around well, from attacking us. I, I disagree with that because most of the people who are attacked or most of the black people who lose their lives are losing their lives at the hands of other black people. So I don't think the white people are our biggest problem when it comes to the loss of life or devastation in our communities. Um, I, I, I do think that we could focus on building ourselves up 
making sure we educate our young boys, making sure we teach them about decorum and having a positive attitude. We just saw at a graduation just recently that there was a shootout and young people are dying every day. And in, in, in Chicago, Illinois, they had 55 plus shootings. And well, I don't want to get totally off weekend. subject here. I don't want to get totally off subject here uh, because we could go on and on about uh, you know, black people murdering black people, or we can go on and on about, uh, you know, white people having mass shootouts in schools and in grocery stores. Uh, it's all bad when anyone murders anyone. So I don't want to get caught off uh, subject here. Is everything done by the Black Lives Matter movement, Dr. Flo, uh, going to receive higher scrutiny simply because people don't like the idea of Black Lives Matter? Because people don't. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to receive uh, a different type of scrutiny. It has oh, that's received- right. Commercial break. <laughs> Welcome back to <laughs> Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I'm Tammy Mack. And the Business of Being Black today is Black Lives Matter. Is the organization scrutiny uh, necessary? Dr. Flo, the question on deck here was, is everything done by the Black Lives Matter movement going to receive higher scrutiny simply because people don't like the idea of Black Lives Matter? You know, we've been hearing this, all lives matter, white lives matter, Asian lives matter. Uh, uh, The name itself has been problematic. Yeah, there's, um, you know, it, it kind of sometimes when I hear all lives matter, you know, it's it's a really it's kind of like a puzzle, right? Because we all know that they do, right? It, it's so obvious that in a lot of ways, it's it's it 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 kind of shuts down the conversation. It makes it hard to respond. The fact is that when people say Black Lives Matter, it's not meant to say that someone else's life doesn't matter. It's a, it's an affirmative comment, right? It's saying let's add Black lives to the column of lives that matter. Um, and so, you know, there's definitely that, that's just one of many different types of uh, you know, ways in which people have attempted to dilute or criticize the movement in a way that, um, you know, really calls a lot of things into question. And when something like, you know, the subject of conversation today about the possible misappropriation of funding, something like that comes up, it's a silver bullet. It's really easy to use. Um, I was going to say really quickly, uh, you know, Brandon, I, I understand your point. I, you know, the, the whole point about um, some of these rules and laws not necessarily being able to affect what a rogue police officer might do. And, and, that's, a, and that's a really good point. Um, but I also hear uh, what Dominique is saying that a lot of, you know, it's better to have that rogue police officer accountable for what he or she may have done than to live in a world where that accountability doesn't exist. Where, where there's not, uh, you know, public, you know, kind of like public and sometimes corporate um, backing to actually make sure that that accountability plays out the way it should. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, as, while I hear your point, I definitely hear what you're saying. And I hear that you're thinking of, of, of different ways to actually find some positive, you know, positive changes here. Um, and, I, and I commend you for that. I, I definitely do think that even though some of these steps are small and they might not be going as far as we would like them to go eventually, there are at least steps going in that direction. And I, I think that is valuable while, while you're, you're right that it's not, it's not far enough yet. Yeah, Brandon, you definitely make a point because what you're suggesting is that actions should be proactive and that these consequential uh, policies are reactive to what's happening. I don't think there should be one or the other. There should definitely be both. But um, I need to hear a little bit more from you, Brandon, in terms of uh, these proactive policies you'd like to put in place, because wearing a suit and saying yes, sir, no, sir, is not going to stop anybody from being killed. Yes, ma'am. And I, I agree to that. And I don't think that we should live in a society where you have to wear a suit to, to uh, be able to participate in society without getting killed. And what I will say as a former police officer, I'm just alluding to some of the things that I know that are not helpful and, and that are not helping us move in the right direction. 
um, given the context that I've had with different individuals, I, I really do think it's a, it should be a balance between the community and policing. I think the police department needs to reach out to the community. We need to sit down and have these conversations. Let's talk to our young men. Some of our young men are afraid of, are terrified of black cops. And we should not have that. We should be together as a family and, and working through this. I'm going to tell you right now, police officers hate bad cops. I hate, I, I can't, none of the police officers that I've ever worked with, I was in the National Black Police Officers Association. No, none of the black cops like these officers that are out here making us look bad. It, it's not a good look. Let me just talk about one thing real quick about, about uh, funding. When we talk about defunding and reallocating funds, I get it. But we also need to make sure these officers are trained. We need to make sure they have the proper budget so we can get qualified officers. We should not be uh, struggling to get officers who, you know, we wonder if they have a bad background. We shouldn't even have that as a question. We should have plenty of qualified police officers that we can vet properly. And when they, when they go to training, they're trained to de-escalate. They're trained to, to learn how to communicate. So why has public. that not been a part of the process it, it, it from is. the beginning of the it police is. department? It, it, it is a part of the process. We, we're taught to do the right thing. You know, I think that we could be better trained in, in the nuances, right? Because when you're a police officer, they, there's strategic ways of training use of force situations in a in, a, in, a, in an environment that's not real life. Meaning that so you have simulations. You why, why does why does um, why is Black Lives Matter? Why do you believe Black Lives Matter is offensive to some people? Uh, I mean, I think you got to be completely crazy or a lunatic to be offended by believing that Black Lives Matter. I don't know of a single person. I have plenty of white people that I know. I think the problem is that there, there's no balance between the two, right? If a person said Black Lives Matter, everybody should be okay with that. If a person says All Lives Matter, I think everybody should be okay with that. If a person is saying only Black Lives Matter, then that's a problem. If people are saying only everybody else matter except Black people, then that's a problem. I think that we're missing each other in this argument, not necessarily us, but I think in the public, because I think some people are super extreme, meaning that only Black people matter. Adelia, people I want matter to ask above you, other if, um, Adelia, if Patrice Cullors were a white man or a white woman, would she be facing these same allegations? That's a good question. Um, and I think that's something that I wanted to say earlier. I think because I think she would. I mean, because I think about it's an organization that's working to protect folks, right? So thinking about the flaws in which how a nonprofit organization is created and destined to help and support people. So if she was a white woman doing the same thing, I think it would be still be a red flag. Um, and I think also, even just thinking about when you were all mentioning the Kennedys earlier and the fact that it's a little bit of nepotism that's going on, I think it's the fact maybe if she hired somebody that wasn't related to her, it would look a little bit different. And maybe that the funding that was given to that person wasn't almost a million dollars would look a little bit different. But I do feel like the scrutiny is, um, is it would be the same. I just wanted to say- I, I don't, I don't, I don't I, the, the company, I think the nonprofit, excuse me, had around $60 million or more. I, I don't think- paying someone a million dollars for security, knowing that um, their lives have been threatened. I don't even believe that number is out of range. Dominique, go ahead. I just wanted to say there has been no significant defunding of police nationally. It's a myth. I would love to see those funds shifted, um, as, as we talked about earlier, to things that help keep us safe. But so far, there has been no significant defunding of police. So to blame defunding of police for a spike in violence is just I just want to get a quick response to that. It's not just the defunding of police, obviously, because when you defund police, it's in a fiscal year. So you can claim defunding and it may not occur yet. But what's right. happening is that you're demoralizing some of these police officers and, and they're leaving the police department and they're not being proactive. 
Because okay, proactive well, policing you know, I is, definitely think some should leave, that's for sure, since we're always well, talking well, about well, good well, the and good bad ones, apples. The, the we should definitely ones, get the bad apples out of there. Right. It's not just the, the good apples. Ones are the, you want to comment on this? It's the whole system, not the apples. I don't believe it's the system. We How much more resources do police officers need? That's my question for you. <laughs> you're, you're saying that they, they need these funds, these things are needed, but how much more do they need? Because when well, we're it, looking it at depends, that- It depends on the city, right? Some of the police departments don't need this much money and they can reallocate funds in certain areas, but some police officers need more resources. They need more police officers in the field. They need better training. I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna bring it back to Black Lives Matter here, Dr. Flo. Did Black Lives Matter help galvanize the country after George Floyd's death? Definitely. Or um, even the, I say the country, but we can go as far the as world. the world, right? Yeah, I um, mean, you had movements in Denmark, in Brazil, in Europe, in other parts of Europe, you had in Australia. Um, it, it really did. And, you know, it's something that had happened a few times since Trayvon Martin's death in 2012 and, you know, 2014 with Michael Brown. It had happened a few times with George Floyd. It was different. Um, we were all living in a different world because we were dealing with the pandemic, we were, we were um, you know, kind of struggling along with that. And when we suddenly saw we had this great um, visual aid for a problem that we had seen fuzzy photos of and videos here and there, but this was in your face and it was very hard to uh, resist reacting, right? And so, yes, it, it really did um, um, kind of, it, it exploded in its influence, Black Lives Matter during, during 2020, during those protests. But, but the, the activists, the people on the ground, the grassroots people, um, were the ones that really, really pressed it into the, the, the minds and memories of the American public. And um, it had a lot to do with where we are now with some of the things that we do see. We're not as far as we would like to be, but it, it really is a very important aspect of the, um, of, you know, the changes that we're all hoping to see in the next decade or so. Um, but, I, you know, I, I just think, you know, it's unfortunate if we do, if, if something does turn out to be illegal or if somehow, somehow the global network does um, find itself in, under some really serious legal scrutiny and, uh, and, and, and dismantle or God forbid, um, you know, it's unfortunate if that were to, to really kind of cast a shadow on the progress that we have actually made or the progress that could be made. If it were to take some of the people who, who got behind the movement after George Floyd's death and, um, and, and turn them away, that would be very unfortunate. Yeah. Um, I have a question that I want to pose to the panel when we come back from break. And I also want to know uh, why you all are even on the show. We got to get to know you a little bit when we come back. We're going to take a quick break on Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack, and we'll be right back. I did not mean to be a rapper, but it Welcome back to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack, where the business of being black today is the scrutiny that Black Lives Matter has faced. Has it been warranted? Let's do a lightning round. Yes. So in this lightning round, I just want to hear from you all. Should Black Lives Matter exist? Brandon, go. I don't think the Black Lives Matter organization, the way it's presented should exist, but I do think that there should be movements all over the world that promote the lives of black people and bettering black lives, uh, especially here in the United States. Adiria. I definitely believe that they should exist because still we think about the grassroots organization, even the mission that this organization is providing support on the ground and raising awareness for black lives that are being, you know, brutalized by the police. Dominique. Absolutely should exist. Uh, the Black Lives Matter grassroots is the Black Lives Matter. And I think once the Black Lives Matter grassroots gets control over the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, things will be in alignment. But the mission, the movement, absolutely it should exist. Dr. Flo. 
It, it definitely should exist. And if I could say really quickly, um, I am the, the son of a police officer. My father was a police officer for 20 years in New York City. Uh, through him, I learned that police officers can, can be great people because he was a great person. I also learned that there's a lot of uh, uh, corruption, uh, that there, there can be racism, that there can be uh, inequality. And I also learned through him that uh, police officers also, also deal with traumatization. And a lot of them are, are dealing with uh, difficult things. Um, and I, I think that part of the problem with talking about the Black Lives Matter movement is that people don't understand that there are a lot of people like me who are a part of this broader movement who understand that, that this is a very complex issue, um, that the movement is mostly just about making policing more equitable um, and making police, policing more accountable and to protect the lives of people who sometimes die unjustly, right? And that can, that can be true while also understanding uh, that we need law enforcement and that we, you know, that police officers are people too. I often get confused a little bit. I think about Black Lives Matter in terms of the mission statement. Dominique, I believe you made that mission statement clear here today, um, because my concern is always when do black lives really matter? Is it only when the police are abusing us or is it also when a white supremacist walks into a grocery store and targets black people, targets black people and shoots and kills them? Um, and I'm wondering why that wasn't an outrage across the globe like George Floyd was. I'm unclear on the dynamics of those two events. Why wasn't there marches and 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 fury when that Topps grocery store was attacked by a white supremacist? Dominique? Well, it's worth noting that Black Lives Matter grassroots is on the ground in Buffalo right now, assisting people in the neighborhood because they only have one grocery store and working on organizing people. So although the media many times doesn't keep their eyes on the work of the Black Lives Matter grassroots movement, they're too busy watching the money, the work continues and the Buffalo uh, white supremacist murders uh, is among that work. Brandon? Well, I, you know, I, I think that's a great thing. I hope that they are in Buffalo and I hope that Black Lives Matter all around the country, but it, it seems as if at least nobody's paying too much attention in the inner cities where a lot of young black people are getting killed. There, it was like last year, I think it was over 100 plus young people that have been shot by straight bullets in inner cities around the country. And so I would wish that we would spend most of our money, the hundreds of billions of dollars in that area and spend a little less, maybe even divert the funds to something that is affecting us a lot more prevalent than just the police, uh, you know, health concerns are a big issue in the black community, heart disease. We got a lot of things that I think we can do and, and we can flourish in the black community if we focus our energy there. I do think police should be held accountable, but I think that these things are a lot more pressing in the black community. Adiria, why do you think uh, there wasn't an outrage at the top supermarket like there was with George Floyd? I think there still was outrage. You know, again, going back on Dominique's point is the fact that there are folks on the ground doing that work. And again, we're thinking about what is being centered and what is being focused. Um, and I think that also extends to the idea that people are still talking about Buffalo. But I think the scarier point is the fact that because we live in America, it's the fact that mass shootings are so normalized. It's like we have to keep up with the next mass shooting story. Right. How are we tackling the issue of gun laws um, and gun regulations within America? And I think that's the scariest part of all that people are somewhat desensitized to the reality that this is how, you know, people are losing their lives in, in mass form in America because we're thinking about how these mass shootings are taking folks out daily. Um, and I think that, again, with the mission of Black Lives Matter, we're still thinking about 
violence against black bodies, right? Whether that is coming from the police, but also coming through other uh, forms of white supremacist, you know, right-wing groups. Dr. Flo, how can we focus more on Black Lives Matter grassroots versus the global institution? Or should we be focused on all three of them? And how do we manage to divide ourselves up like that? That's a really good question. Um, You know, having conversations like the one we're having right now, where we we remind people to think about the grassroots organizations. I mean, we definitely do need to think about the larger organizations like the, the Global Network, um, their work is is also very important, and and they do have um, a, you know a, a sense of um, I guess power in in the movement because of the funding that they have and, and the visibility they have, um, and so they are important, and we definitely do need to keep our um, our attention and our resources, if 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 used correctly, um, um, directed towards them. But you know, Twitter. Um, other places online where where, where these organizations glo- um, uh, locally are doing their work and making themselves seen um, can be a really great resource. Um, walking outside of your door in your own community and going to these organizations that are oftentimes within a few miles of of um, the center of of most American cities. Um, I, that those those are probably the best ways to do it. Um, otherwise, it is. Tell very us difficult. about your book. I want to get into your project here: uncontrollable blackness. Yes, thank you very much. Um, uh, The book is about African-American men and criminality in New York City in the early 20th century, um, kind of looking at the ways in which the the world around them, the the Jim Crow world surrounding them, um, configured spaces, configured the economy and and social life, et cetera, um, to kind of force them into into a corner where sometimes they they might choose to go outside of the law in order to uh, achieve some measure of success or or secure their their own lives and their identity. Brandon, tell us about the Officer Tatum show. Well, it's a show I do. I talk about politics. I lean more conservative. Um, I I wrote a book about policing in America, about being a Black police officer in America under siege is what the title, subtitle is. Um, so that mostly what I talk about is policing. I break down police shootings. I talk about the Breonna Taylor case, all of the above. I do all of that on my show. It's, it's done through Salem. The news network is syndicated all around the world. And if anybody's interested in checking it out, just go to officertatum.com, theofficertatum.com. Adiria, please tell us about your projects. <laughs> yeah, I'm currently the digital hip hop archivist at the Museum of Pop Culture in Seattle. And I'm currently archiving 1300 original early hip hop items for the museum. What's one of them? Oh, my favorite one, I would say, is Grandmaster Flash's turntable. Oh, my God! No! <laughs> yes! And DJ Africa Mabada's uh, tape deck, where he's recording all of his sets. Um, we have whew, we have about 300 vinyls, original vinyls. We have 500 party flyers, like the original flyers with DJ Cole Herc, um, Starsky. I mean, we have a lot of stuff. At the That's museum. amazing. I didn't know that. The, uh, the next time I'm Seattle, I'm in Seattle. I've I, I want to I want to know where that's at. I, I go to Seattle often, and I would love to come and check it check out the museum. Yeah, we're at the Seattle Center, and currently our new exhibit is Contact High, which is looking into hip-hop photography, and then we're opening up the Ruth Carter exhibit looking at Afrofuturism and design, so we have some really cool exhibits that are centered on Black life and hip-hop, so if you're interested, come on to Seattle. Oh, that thought. Dominique, first things first, that's your show. First things first, I do talk radio, um, KBLA. 1580.com, Tavis Miley, myself, D.L. Hughley. It's a great lineup of progressive Black thinkers, and I hope you'll join us one day. Well, I thank you all for joining me today, Brandon, Adiria, Dominique, and Dr. Flo. That continues 
or rather ends, concludes the business of being black with Tammy Max. Stick around because Claudia Jordan is up next and she's going to give you TGIF. Don't you go nowhere. That's it for business of being black with Tammy Mac. Bye, y'all.